praise the lord in october 2013 i started a study and teaching on the book of james october 2013 we started the study and we are still in part 9 at this moment uh, and the tired the series of messages that we have been talking from this time was growing up rather than giving up that's the title of the series that we are doing growing up rather than giving up and today's title which we are doing is we are going to study from verse 1 to verse 10 from chapter 4 and i have titled it as conquering conflicts in the church the biggest issue worldwide is this the main issue conquering conflicts in the church and we thank god that he prepares us well in advance that any time that the enemy comes to attack god has already prepared us with the word amen so that he will not knock on our door that we will be prepared and we will have a fence around our church so no powers of darkness shall ever prevail against our church in jesus name can we turn to our bibles to james chapter 4 and verse 1 to 10 james chapter 4 verses 1 to 10 the word says where ends comes war and fighting among you come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain ye fight and war yet ye have not because ye ask not ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with god whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of god do you think that the scripture said in vain the spirit that dwelleth us lusted to envy but he give giveth more grace wherefore he said god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you draw nigh to god and he will draw nigh to you cleanse your hands ye sinners and purify your heart ye double minded be afflicted and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness humble yourselves in the sight of god and he shall lift you up amen conflict in the church has been the biggest problem since the birth of church the moment the church was birthed conflict started people often wonder why is it that i cannot get along with with other members in the church why is it i don't get along with them why is it that we have so much of strife and arguments in ministries why is there so much 
contention, strife and division in the church. We all have that question. Why is it I can't get along with my brother? What is the problem? James answers these questions for us today. He gives us two. One, he tells us the cause. And the next, he tells us the cure. He's going to give us the cause of all this. And he's going to give us also the cure. The, re the reason for conflict and the remedy for conflict. The reason for conflict and the remedy he's going to give. He's addressing the who, the why, and how. Who is the cause of the conflict? Why are we having conflicts? And how to resolve conflicts? That's what James is addressing in this chapter. At the very beginning of this message, I want you to do one thing for me. I want you to think of a person or persons that causes conflict in your life. I'll give you just only one second. If I give you, maybe you'll have an hour to, to choose people. But you have only one second to think of the person who causes conflict in your life. Or persons. Or in your ministry. Okay? Have you done that? And I want you to think, how will you avoid these conflicts with these people? So you have the person's name in your mind. Correct? Anybody doesn't have, you can put your hands up. I don't have any conflict with anybody. Everything is smooth sailing. I'm on cloud number nine. Anybody there? God bless you. James tells us there are three reasons of conflicts in our life. There are three reasons. One, conflict with others. Two, conflict within ourselves. Three, conflict with God. Conflict with others. Conflict within ourselves. And conflict with God. So we have conflict with others because we have conflict raging within us. That's the reason there's a conflict with others. We have conflict in our personal life is because we have conflict with God. And that's the reason because we are having a conflict with God, there's a conflict going on deep within us. And we have to see today as we go through this message what are the causes of conflict? James 4. Keep your Bibles open to James chapter 4. We are going to only just study. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to teach. James 4 verse 1. Who causes fight and quarrel among you? Don't they come from your desire that battle within you? James gets right to the point. He says, James says, the causes of conflict is because you have conflicting desires. When there are conflicting desires, conflict takes place. Don't sleep in Jesus' name. Conflict starts very early in our life. It starts very, very early in our life. Have you noticed a small child? If that child's need is not met or not gratified, I will use that word, that child will let you know it immediately. They can fight with you even before they could start talking to you. Have you noticed that? They can scream on the top of the voice to make sure you give them what they want. Even before they could start talking. Conflict. Many marriages are built on conditions these days. Many marriages 
And I think in our second study, I spoke about this. Marriages go through three stages in our lives. Number one stage, number one is the honeymoon stage. That's the stage one. Stage two is now the party is over, baby. Hallelujah. Honeymoon is over. Some of our beautiful brothers are still having honeymoon. Praise God. Best brother Michael. He is my brother of having honeymoon. God bless you, Michael. Stage two, party is over. And stage three comes. Angel, honey, we need to make a deal now. Party is over. We need to make a deal. Conflict begins. Because conflict will knock on everybody's door at some day or the other. Don't ever think that conflict is not going to knock at your door. It's only going to come for Brother John, Brother Peter, Brother Simon. No, 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 no. It will knock your door one day. And that's the reason God is preparing us now itself. So, what's desire? The Bible says there are three desires, basic desires, that will cause conflict. Three basic desires that will cause conflict conflict. Now, these desires are legitimate. Let us understand that. And unless they are out of control, unless they are out of control, and you must understand, we will face conflict. And now, these desires are God-given desires. You must understand that. But when these desires become above the person we love and we care, and when these desires become Number one in your life, above the person that we are living with, conflict begins. When your desire supersedes, takes the priority above your spouse, above the people you work, above the person in your ministry, conflict will begin. So what are they? Number one. So what are they? The desire to have things. The desire to have things. Sometimes not really required. We want things. We want materialism. We want possessions. Verse 2. Let us look at verse 2. You want what you don't have. You seen that? You want what you don't have. You long for what? Join with me. Others have. Look at that. Are you having the same scripture? You want what you don't have. You long for what others have. God created things for us to enjoy. God has given us things to enjoy. That's the reason they are there for. We need things, or I could use another word. We use things and we must love the person. We should use things and love the person. But when the order is reversed, when I use the person... And love things, conflict begins. You seen that? Many of us know how to manipulate the other person in order to get what we want. We know how to control their feelings because the things have become more important to us than the person that we are living with, than the person that we are having a ministry, than the person that we are walking with. And sometimes we do not know where to stop, how to stop, when to stop. We don't know. Because things have now taken control of us. And the person has become secondary. Number two, the desire to feel good. 
the desire to feel good. Verse 3, the Bible says, sometimes we want, we, we want to feel good. That's our desire. We want to feel good. We want to be comfortable. We want my desires to be satisfied. I want my desire to be satisfied. I don't care about her, but my desire has to be satisfied. Look at verse 3. You want only what will give you one person, pleasure. I want you to join with me. We are studying the Bible. Let us go to the word together. You only want what will give you pleasure. It's not wrong to enjoy life. Let me rephrase this. It is not wrong to enjoy life. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have it, could you read it please? The Bible says in 1 Timothy, I'll summarize it. God made everything for our enjoyment. Have you seen that there? Everything that God has made is for you to enjoy. But when pleasure becomes the number one goal in my life, when our pleasures take place and takes over what is needful, then we are heading for trouble. When my pleasure supersedes what I want, then we are in trouble. I'll give you an example. Husband and wife decides to buy a new car. And they start feeling good about it. They want everyone in the church to know about it. They want pastor to pray about, for the car. Which is good. Having a car is a good thing. But when the monthly payment comes, that good feeling slowly is replaced with another type of feeling. I told you not to buy it. Why you never stopped me? Did not God speak to you from that message? No, but you should have told me at that time. Now, are you not traveling with me in the car? Are we not going together? And then that feeling is now replaced because now you have never had the budget of the 200 riyals extra going every month. And there's a pinch. The good feeling is now replaced with some other feeling. And there's arguments. There's problem. There's strife. My third point. The desire to be number, the desire to be number one. What is our desire? To be number one. Many of us, whether in the family, in the church, in the ministry, in the job, wherever you are, you want to be number one. You want to be, serve me first. I stood in the line first. I came for communion first. Why did you bypass me and go to that person? I want to be served first. We are living in a world where everybody is wrapped up in themselves. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Quickly turn to your Bibles. The Bible says, Pride leads to... This, have you seen that? Another translation says, Pride leads to arguments. you seen that? Why? Because I'm too proud to compromise that conflict. I'm too proud. I don't want to compromise. My fourth point is, very important point, and this is a place where many youth struggle. The youth struggle in this, not the mar but some of the married people also struggle. My fourth point is, unfulfilled desires causes conflict. Unfulfilled desires causes conflict. Some 
of us in order to fulfill those unfulfilled desires, we do the most foolish things that even endangers our life. That even endangers our life. We do the most foolish thing. You want to get something and you know that it's not for you, but you go beyond your limit to take that and then you hand it up in deep trouble. Why do my desires go unfulfilled? Why do my desires go unfulfilled? Verse 2 and 3. Look at verse 2 and 3. And we'll see why does my desires go unfulfilled. And they are, you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Have you seen that? God is waiting to give his children the best but we are arrogant and wild, willing to settle for the second best. And sometimes even willing to settle for the worst. God has prepared the best for every one of you. Can you tell your neighbor that God has prepared the best for you? Don't settle for the second best. In Jesus' name may there be a portion. Here James tells us two reasons why your desires are not fulfilled. There are two reasons as to why your desires are not fulfilled. Reason number one is, we do not pray. Look at verse 2. Ye have not, because ye ask not. Simple. You are not having, because you have not asked. So, why don't we pray and ask God for help? You know what's the reason that we don't pray and ask God for help? Because we feel we are self-sufficient. I have my education. I can take care. If I send my application, I will get through. I have my money. I don't care kalli for this job. My money is there. I can resign tomorrow. I don't need to even ask God whether God wants this for my life. We are not interested to ask God. Because we feel I am self-sufficient. My bank is full of money. My garage is full of cars. I have a lot of children. Everything is in abundance. More abundant, more abundant I got. So I don't need God at all in this decision. And what we do, instead of looking at God, we start looking at man. I know pastor so-and-so, I know brother so-and-so, I can call him and my need will be met. I don't need to worry. And we fail to look at God. The Bible has said, look at this, everything I need, Everything I need, God has promised to provide. Can I hear an amen? Yes. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Beautiful scripture. Everything you need, brother and sister. I want you to tell your neighbor, everything you need, God will provide for you. Now, I've got to catch there now. Be careful. My God shall supply... Okay, now, have you noticed, when we are in the middle of a conflict, okay, the last thing that comes to our mind, what's the last thing that comes to our mind when we are in the middle of a conflict, is to pray. Because we want to prove our point at that time to my brother or my sister. I want to prove my point, I don't need to pray now. I will prove my point, then I will go to the closet and tell God forgive me. I have, I have told my, my peace of mind. I gave it to him. 
I gave it to him. I used all the words from the dictionary. He never understood one word. And now I will go to God and say, Lord, I am sorry for hurting him. Do you remember that old song, what a friend we have in Jesus? Do you remember that? Do you remember there's a word which says, Oh, what peace we have in forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. And what's the answer? All because we do not carry and everything to God in prayer. The most simple things, we find it so difficult. Father, I pray that you will give grace to all of us to carry everything to you in prayer. Amen. May that be your portion in Jesus' name. The second part, B. We pray with wrong motives. Our motives are totally wrong. Look at verse 3. It says, Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. You see that word there? You may say, Brother Claudie, I have been asking for years and I've availed nothing up to now. James says, My brother, my sister, check your motive. They are wrong. James says, You ask a miss. Now, I've looked at the dictionary. The word amiss means sick or diseased. Look at that. That means I ask a miss, I ask God with something with a sick and diseased attitude and motive. My motive and my attitude is totally sick that God even cannot stand it. Let me say this. God is concerned about our legitimate needs and our legitimate desires. You seen that? That is what God is concerned. God has promised to meet all your needs, but if our asking is in a wrong way, then God will not and cannot ask or answer that prayer because we are asking with a total wrong motive. His answer will be only no. Not even wait. It will be no till we change our attitude in asking. Look at verse 3 again. Look at the later part. It says, verse 3b, it says that you may consume it upon your what do you got there upon your? Yeah, pleasures. It says, and what does King James say? Thank you. You may consume it upon your lust. Look at the word James is saying that. In this context, the word consume means to squander away and waste away on my selfish pleasure. My pleasure is selfish. So I want to squander it and on that. The next verse James talks about Conflict with God. Pride not only causes conflict with other people, but pride will cause conflict with God himself. Verse 6. Verse 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the... I want to warn you today. There's a big warning coming from the pulpit. God declares war on selfishness. If you are selfish, you are running in collision ahead against God. And it's a very dangerous path to walk in. You will not win, you will lose. If you go ahead against God's plans and purposes. 
My third, my next point, C. We have a rapture our relationship with God. We have raptured our relationship with God. James 4, verse 4. Let us, Brother Matthew, can you read James 4, 4, please? It says, Ye, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship with the world is enmity with God. So what does that mean? We know what adultery is, correct? Is there anybody who says, I don't know what adultery is? Okay, in case you don't know, let me just re, uh, explain it in short. When you are in love, when you are engaged, when you are married to one person, and when you are having an affair with another person in any form, in any form, is adultery. Okay? Now, isn't not the church married to Christ? Correct? The church is married to Christ. So, sometimes, when we begin to have an affair with the world, and when we begin to love the world, and when we begin to crave for the things of the world, you are telling God, I am not pleased with you anymore. I don't have pleasure in your presence. If you were here yesterday evening, we had a wonderful time of intercession our brother highlighted one point. It's like telling Jesus, Christ, you can take my living room, but leave my bedroom and kitchen for me, my, my bedroom for me, and leave the kitchen for my wife. You are allowed in my sitting room alone. So who else occupies that other room if God is not there? Your enemy is there. But we have to be very careful we need to ask God, Father, give me grace that I'll give you my entire life. Take control of my eyes, especially my mouth. If only we can control that one part, that tongue, you will save 99.99% of your problems. Now let me look at the cure. We've seen the causes. We are going to look at the cure. Verse 5, it says that, I will summarize it. It says, God is jealous God, and he will not share us with the world. God will never share us with the world. You cannot serve God and this world. We find that in Matthew six twenty-four, You can't serve God and money. You can't do it. The moment you try to do it, you are in adultery. The moment you try to do that, there is no in-between, either you are for God or you are against Him. Simple. Simple things. The cure for conflict, number one, the cure for conflict is God's grace. We need God's grace to overcome conflict. To end conflict with others, within ourselves and with God, we need to do it, verse 6 and verse 10. Look at quickly at verse 6 and verse 10. God gives grace. See, it says, God gives grace to the humble. You need to put Mike's, uh, Matthew's mic on. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. So, now the question is, what is grace? What is grace, Brother Claudie? Grace is God's power to change situations. Grace is God's power 
to change your circumstances. So what would you like to change today about? The question, what is the one thing that you want God's power to change in your life? Would you want God's power to change something in your relationship? Would you want grace, God's power to change in your marriage, in your family, with the relationship with your ministry members, in relationship with your co-workers, you might be perfect with the relationship with your ministry members and the church, but your relationship at work is chaos. And you need grace to overcome that. God's grace can change any type of situation. There is only one way to get it, and that is grace alone. So, how can I get it by grace? You need to do only one thing. You need to humble yourself before God. Now, what the question is, how am I to humble myself? Claudie, brother Claudie, how am I to humble myself? The Greek word for humbling is to lie down face forward. That's the last place you can go. You can't go anywhere else because that's the opposite of pride. The deepest and lowest part is, I will prostrate myself before my father and say, I am nothing, Lord. Let me give you a biblical definition of what it means to humble. A biblical definition. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Let us see a biblical example. If somebody of you is not having a Bible, and your brother is having a Bible, please share it with the person on your right or your left. Please. I want us to go through these scriptures. Only when you read scriptures will you put the enemy to shame and you'll have wisdom to deal with him. Are you there? Yes. Yes, brother. 12.3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one hmm. a measure of faith. Amen. God does not give grace to people who have pride in them. If you are a person of total pride, you depend only upon yourself, God will oppose you. When you think, I can do it and I don't need Him at all. Many of us are very proud to tell the other person, I am sorry. We are too proud for it. We say, why, why should I do that? Remember, God will never accept your prayer, God will never accept your praise. You, may, you might be the best worship leader. You might be the most awesome leader. But if you are not able to submit to your leadership, you are not able to live in harmony with your brethren in the ministry, he is not going to listen to your worship. You might be the best usher in the church. Everyone would love you in the church. They will say he is the best person, outstanding. But if you cannot submit to the leader and you cannot love your brethren, your ushering is zero. You might be the best teacher, the best teacher, and everyone would love you. But if you cannot submit to leadership, you are done. You are done. 1 Peter 5 5. Let us see what God says about this. 1 Peter 5 5. The, the word of God says in, in it. For God resists the proud. See, you become an enemy of God. He will resist you. 
we are supposed to resist the enemy correct but here the bible says god will resist you if you are proud but he will give grace to the humble humble my next point is give in to god give in to god james 4 7 it says submit yourself therefore to god the bible says submit yourself to god now what does it mean to submit that the glory how do you want me to submit submission is a military word it means fall into rank come behind me or fall into the rank walk beside me but not fall into the rank and walk ahead of me many of us want submission i will walk ahead of you pastor you follow me pastor i am 48 years in oman and you are only 30 i got more experience so you follow me pastor pastor i know the language you will tell your leaders you know everything but god says go and submit to him submission is a very very hard thing it's a very difficult thing for us to do we all find it difficult it starts at home have you seen children cannot submit to parents husband and wife no submission in leadership no submission at work no submission we are rebelling from the day we are born even when god says come i need you in heaven we say no i don't want to come now give me five more years doctor says everything is over for him we have to let go no no pray we have to live another 10 years if god told you to come up you still rebel and you say i need 10 more years i need to preach to another thousand people but god says it's finished but you want to rebel we are living in a time of total rebellion our flesh wants to justify every action of ours but when you submit to god verse 7 you are giving god control of your life and your conflicts you are putting god in charge of your life we want everything our way and when it doesn't go my way it's no way at all i'll be mad with you i want the song i'm sorry i'm using sometimes choir they're the first ones in front of me i want the song to be sung this way if it's not sung this way let us stop it let us do it my way But brother, brother, when it we find a common way, no common way. It's only my way or no way. Can we put the chairs in this order? No, no, no. I am the leader. My way. I said it. You listen. It's a very dangerous thing. It's a very Colossians three fifteen. Let us look at Colossians three fifteen. It says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart." see when we have the peace of christ in our heart you know what will happen you will be in peace with everyone but when you don't have the peace of christ in your heart you will be in pieces with everybody mm. or you will put people into pieces because you don't have the peace of christ in your heart everyone around you is poor people they'll be interceding for you when you come mm. third point resist satan if you haven't submitted to god it will do you no good to resist the devil submission to god must come first before resisting satan you heard the church first submit then resist my next point is we need to resist the devil by being wise quickly turn to 2 corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 if somebody has it could you read it quickly anyone 2 corinthians 2:11 
lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Ah, another translation says, in order that Satan may not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. So we have to ask God, God, I need wisdom to tackle the situation. Don't be ignorant. Resist the devil and what he will do? He will flee from you. My brothers and sisters, the devil's one purpose is to destroy your marriage. That's the only goal he has got. He wants to destroy what God has joined together. He wants to destroy what husband and wife has brought forth together, children. He wants to destroy what God has united together in the church. He wants to destroy every relationship of yours. Do you know why? Satan loves conflict. He loves argument. He wants to cause confusion. He wants to cause stress. He wants to cause hurt feeling. He wants to cause disappointment. How many wives feel that they are disappointed that they are married to that man? And how many wives desire that they could go back to that time, even before entering the altar, that they could have said no and run away, like the runaway bride? Satan wants, and I know many wives are thinking in your heart, wow, I wish I had that chance. Smile is taking place from there, you can see that smile. Satan wants to cause chaos in your family. And because we do not know the tricks of the devil, because we do not know the word, we fall a prey to him. He tells us, Satan will tell us what we want to hear. He will whisper to us. He will give us the small thoughts when our loved one is talking. He will say, don't put up with that nonsense anymore. Show them who is the boss. Tell them that you are the ministry leader. Tell them that you are born again before they were born. Okay? Tell them that. Tell them that God is using you. You are the anointed one. Tell them that you can play the instrument better than them. Tell them that you have a better ear for music. Tell them that you could teach children better. He puts all these small things into you and you just wait and bang it. You throw it at your brother or your sister and you hurt that person. Fourth point, draw close to God. Draw close to God. James 4.8 Draw near to God, Amen. and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Where's Romeo? Where art thou, Romeo? <laughs> Come, my brother. Everything that Satan does can I call the choir also? Everything that Satan does is to, uh, to stop you from drawing near to God. That's his one strategy. He says, I should not allow him or her to get close with God. Let us stand on our feet and we will sing the song, Draw Me Close to You. And let us take this as a prayer. And let us tell God, let, let, don't let go of me. Don't let go of me. And let us tell God, Lord, I want to lay it all down at your feet one more time. Everything that you've given to me. Thank you, Daddy. Draw me close to you. Make this as a prayer. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, choir. So, how do I draw close to God? How do I draw close to God? A. Clean up your life. Clean up your life. James says, clean your hands and purify your heart. The hands represent the outward man of how we live the heart represents the inner man that controls the outer man. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22, the Bible says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from any evil conscience. 
and our bodies washed with pure water. My next point is, have a clear conscience. Your conscience should be clear before God. Now don't say, I have told what I wanted, my conscience is clear. But check your conscience if it's in line with the word of God. You can have a rotten conscience and say, my conscience is clear, I told you what I wanted. But it would be totally contrary to the word of God. Next point, see, have full confidence in God and in God alone, not anything else. Don't put your confidence in man. Don't put your confidence in what you possess. Don't put your confidence in your health. It will fail you. But God will never fail you in Jesus' name. Have a sincere heart. You should have a sincere heart before God. That you should delight only God and God in everything that you need. So how can you clean up your life is the question. How can I clean up my act? Let us see what the word of God says. Psalm 119 verse 9. 119 verse 9. And we'll see how we could clean up our act. It says, how can a young man stay pure? By reading your word and following its rules. I want you to make this as a prayer. Lord, I want to read your word all the days of my life. When you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Can you hear amen? My next point, be sorrowful for the conflict. We are looking at the cures. Be sorrowful for the conflict. James 4.9, the Bible says in James 4.9, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now see, James is not talking about the joy and laughter of salvation. Be careful of what he says here. He's not talking about the laughter and joy of salvation. James is talking about a temporary joy and laughter that you will have after you hurting somebody and you say, I had my way. You will have a temporary joy that you have hurt that sister, you have hurt that brother. You feel, I have won the battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Today the battle was mine. I finished hurting him. Sometimes we get so caught up in what is right in our arguments that we fail to realize what is really right. We fail to do that. My sixth point. The next point it says, my fifth point. Don't be critical or judgmental of others. Don't be critical or judgmental of others. James 4, 11, 12. James 4, 11, 12. The Bible says... Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art a doer of the law, not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judge another? Please, never judge or criticize somebody. We may not realize it. Many times we, 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 we attempt to build ourselves up by tearing someone else down. We feel proud that we have torn the other person. There are three things we need to remember that will help us not to be critical or judgmental. Three things that will help us to be careful. Number one, remember who 
the others are. Remember who the others are. It's found in verse 11a. You don't have to read it. 11a it says, Remember that just like you, the other brother and sister are also chosen by God before the foundation of the world. We believe that we are chosen before the foundation of the world. Correct? Don't you think the person that you are having a strife is also chosen by God before the foundation of the world? And then we have so much strife with that person. Don't you, don't you know that they are also loved and honored by God? Don't you know that you are going to spend eternity with them? And yet you have so much strife with them? Don't you know that they are called your brothers and sisters in Christ? And yet you have strife with them? Second point. Remember who God is. Remember who others are. Remember who God is. It's taken from verse 12a. There is only one law giver. And that is... Claudie. Pastor Abraham. It is God. There is only one lawgiver. And that is God. There is only one judge. And that is Pastor Abraham. No. And that is God. Only one lawgiver. Only one judge. And that is God. Only God has the right to judge and condemn. He doesn't need any help from any ministry leaders. Or from anybody. God doesn't need our help to do that. God can save and God can destroy. Amen? So you don't judge your brother for his wrong. You correct him. You build him. You edify him. You walk with him. When he's wrong, don't condemn him and throw him out. Go and visit him. Even if it takes you years, sit with him. And say, let me walk with you. My next point, remember who you are. We've seen who the other is. We've seen who God is. And let us look who we are, verse 12b. James, they ask the question, Who art thou that judgeth another? In our modern day language, if I'm going to talk James's language in present day, sorry for saying this, who do you think you are? James is asking, who do you think you are? You know, the arrogant way. It's not my job to judge or condemn you, my brothers. We are just flesh and blood like those that we are judging. We have faults and failures just like the one that we are judging. We have strength and weakness just like the person we are judging. We are no more perfect than the person that we are judging. So we need to stop it. Stop it. From judging somebody else. When we judge others, we are taking on the responsibility of what God is doing. There is only one God. And you are, and I are not Him. You are not God and I am not God. When we judge others, we are passing judgment on God's word. That is wrong. I want to close. My last point. Be willing to ask forgiveness. Be willing to ask forgiveness. If you want to stop conflicts in your life, learn to ask forgiveness. God will supply your need. God will give you the grace. Now, you remember I asked you a question when I, when I started the message. You have that person's name in your mind? All of you have it? Now nobody will talk. They'll be thinking he's going to catch us. This is a dangerous fellow. He will catch us. You got that person's name. Okay, now, 
I want you to go back to that person or go back and think of all the things that we studied. Do you think you have right to judge that person now anymore? Maybe that person hurt you 99 times. That person is wrong. And maybe you have only one person that is raw, wrong. And 99 is on that person. But somewhere down that line, that person has gone from here, gone to some other church, has heard a message, and has fallen on her feet and said, God, I am sorry I hurt that brother who came into ministry. And repeatedly, I pushed him away because for some reason I was wrong and I was selfish. And I pushed that brother away. Can you forgive me? 99% who was wrong is forgiven. You walk out of this church, God calls you to heaven, and you have that 1% that you have not reconciled with God. Have you seen that? Maybe I will not say that person is wrong, or right. He, is, he or she is totally wrong for what they did. But they got right with God. So let us get right with God. Brethren, God gives us the grace to humble ourselves. If you want change, the only way you get change is to humble yourself. Can we stand on our feet? Can I have Philippians 2, verses 3, 5 on the board? We are going to read this together. Could we stand on our feet? We are going to read this as a prayer. And we'll read it together. Ready? One, two, go. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why? Because pride causes argument. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let us bow our heads at this moment. God is saying, it's not for you to forget about your needs, but think of the need of the other person. Don't get wrapped up in your need. Bring it to God and ask the Lord, Lord, I need grace. I need mercy, Father. I want you to take this as a prayer. Please, please don't look up. Bow your head. If this message has not touched you, then nothing will touch you again. If this message has not made an impact on you, nothing will do it. So let us make a commitment to God and say, Lord, change me today. Just continue talking to God. Has God spoken to you this afternoon? Has God reminded you that there are things in your life that need change? Which character of yours do you need to surrender to God? Which character of yours are you telling God, change God, change that character in me? I can't do it by myself. You do it for me. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 and 13 says this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, 
bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Talk to God. Do you have a problem with humility? Do you have a problem with submission? Or frankly, do you have a problem with cleaning up your life? Tell God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us today, Lord. You've asked us to look into our character, Lord Father. And there are areas you want us to change. Because there are attitudes in us which are not right. There are characters in us which we need to throw out. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that today you have reminded us of how you hate the proud and how you look after the humble. We thank you, God, that today you have reminded us that just as you forgave us, we need to forgive others and not think of ourselves as better than they are because we aren't. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that today you have spoken and we have heard it. I pray, Lord, that even as we step out, these words will continue to work in us. Your word will continue to work in us, Lord. That we will not forget anything that we have heard. That we will go and look back on our life. Identify those areas which need change. And make those changes. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your servant whom you have used this day. We ask, Lord, that you continue to pour out your anointing upon him. That he will continue to teach us from your word, Lord Father. Father God, we ask, Lord, that your blessing be upon him and his family, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you take care of them. Thank you, Father God, for every one of us who are here, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would have heard this word. And it's not fallen on hard rock, but on good soil. Father God, I pray, Lord, that these words will bear fruit. We give glory to you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.